Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dime. So, very excited for today's guest. She is a two-time Offset champion, a two-time provincial champion with the Halton Hurricanes and Leaside Volleyball Club. She was a team MVP, an all-rookie team, a second-team all-star, and most recently, a first-team all-star in the OUA this year with the York Lions. Please welcome to the show, Sarah Williams. Sarah, thanks for doing this. No problem. I'm excited to get to talk to you about this. It seems like you've been a part of my journey, so this will be interesting to share the story. Yeah, I, I hope to learn some stuff on this episode, but to be honest, the research wasn't that hard because I feel like we've known each other for a lot of years. So. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, I'll just talk about her. Let's let's do this. Yeah, like I'll just surprise you. Surprise, we were recording that conversation the whole time. Now it's on the air. <laughs> All right, so let's start with, you kind of grew up in, in, in what's known as a hotbed of volleyball right now in Ontario in that Burlington area. So how did you start playing and what made you go to Halton for your the, the start of your club career, I guess? Well, my I have an older sister. And I guess not a ton of people know because she didn't continue volleyball. She um, started volleyball in elementary school, and I obviously wanted to be like my older sister. So I hopped on board and um, decided to play. And I played in elementary school. I played on the senior team when I was younger just because I guess I was tall and I really enjoyed the sport. And so I actually, not many people know like the start of my volleyball career, but I was, I think, 11 or 12 and played 14U Oakville Thunder. So I played for five clubs nice. um, through my um, OVA career. I played for Oakville Thunder. Then I went to uh, Lakeside. Then I went to Defensa. And then I went to Holton Hurricanes. And then I went to uh, Leeside. Well, wow, it's a lot of backpacks um, and jackets. Yep. I have so many different colored jerseys, and they don't even make sense in my closet. <laughs> but I just kind of started because um, my older sister was playing, and then I ended up falling in love with the game and kind of continued there and I started with Oakville Thunder, and then I tried out for Lakeside because it was just a bit of a stronger team in the area and made that one. And then I actually met my one of my best friends now, Tori Gorell, and we started playing together on the beach, and she was like, come try out for Defensa with me. So we did it, and then I played for Defensa for two years, and then after that, I went to Halton, and then my last year was in Lakeside. So I've kind of bounced around, but I've been playing for a very long time, and I think all the different clubs I was at had a special little part in my story, but so I'm, I'm used to all the coaching changes, to be honest. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you mentioned your older sister. You also have a brother who's into volleyball in a big way too, right? So was there some, some backyard games going on or what was the deal with all of you choosing volleyball as your sport? So yeah, Thomas, um, he's actually in his second year university at McMaster. He, um, is an outside hitter, left side slash right side. And he played, at Lakeside to start and then went to Pac-Man and played through his whole career there. Um, he's a very good, very strong volleyball player, but I think it was just from the domino effect of him coming to watch my beach tournaments and watching my sister Megan play. Um, he started to really like the sports. My parents were like, okay, like if he's in invested and he actually wants to do something, let's, let's go for it. So they put him in um, and he tried out and he's been involved ever since and it's really funny because everyone's like you're such a volleyball family but my parents never played volleyball both of them <laughs> from England my dad played soccer my mom played ringette did a little bit of gymnastics like it wasn't like it was in my my plans when I was growing up to be a volleyball player but it kind of played out that way nice I think the OVA beach tour doesn't get enough credit for that where there's there's been younger siblings who get tired of watching their older siblings and they just kind of want to play where where Jake McNeil told a similar story on his episode and I imagine uh, Jack McBain has the same thing where it's just like why am I watching you when I could be playing two courts over that's exactly it so well Thomas used to just play 
beside us. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you register and go compete? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So you get to high school, and was your grade really strong, or were you playing up when you won these offset championships? I guess you were back-to-back, -back, right? Yeah. So we were back-to-back -back in my grade 11 and grade 12 year. Um, there was one year where we didn't have a senior team. I think it was when I was in grade 10. So I just played on the junior team, and we actually won like the regionals on in grade 9 and 10 for that. So I had a really strong year. Um, cause it was me and then Tori Gurrell who went to Penn state is now playing professional. And then the year younger than us, we had Melissa Langiger, who is a, the big player on Western right now. And so we had a very strong core. So just having three solid players, I guess, had, like did us well. And we were able to figure that out through the, through the times we were there. And then in grade 11 and grade 12, we, had just figured it all out. We were a strong team. We had everything figured out, and we ended up winning two years in a row. We actually were undefeated, like, all season. Like, we, we didn't lose a single game in two years. <laughs> nice. So with the skill level on that team, were you guys just confident going into OFSA? Or I think a lot of people get excited about how big it is. There's a banquet. Like, there's guest speakers. Like, it, it is a different feel of a tournament, and it is pretty special to be a part of. But... Were you guys just so confident because you knew you had, like, three studs on the team? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we were all kind of, like, as we kept winning, the pressure got higher, being, like, pretty much, okay, we're still undefeated, we're still undefeated, we're still under, undefeated. And I think we knew, like, there was other really good teams that had, like, there was a team um, closer to London that we ended up having to play in the offensive finals, and they had, um, like, three or four girls from four City. So, like... Other teams also had very strong athletes. So I don't think we were like, oh, we're going to win this thing. But it was like, okay, like we've been here before. So I think for us, it wasn't as nerve-wracking. But like it was hard because we, we were expected to win. So that pressure is kind of on you to compete. Nice. And do you remember being in like grade 11 or 12 and dealing with expectations like that? Like was it – mostly from your team was it from the coaches or was it just the idea that like we're really good and we should be doing well like how did you deal with that because from the show we've learned a lot that I think a lot of people want to say and do the right thing and say it's a process and we're just going to put in the effort but it's hard to ignore the expectation from the outside sometimes so a little, like a little bit more about me that I guess people don't know and don't see that I was cut from teams like um, my choice to leave defensa and hope and hurricanes weren't mine um, so I think that I learned a lot during those times and I knew like that kind of humbled me a bit, making me a bit of a better player. Cause I, I knew I wasn't the best player and I wasn't just going to walk through this because I was tall or because I was this or I was that. So I've always kind of felt pressure to compete always because I know that I have to work for, um, what I, what I have. Cause I'm not six foot six. I'm not. I don't jump through the ceiling. So I think for me, I've always had pressure on me to compete all the time, but that's not a pressure that anyone has put on my, put on me about myself. So I just kind of always have like that mindset of just being the best I can be and pushing myself and working through um, tough times because I have been pushed back a lot in my volleyball career. There's times I didn't think I was going to continue with volleyball because I was cut from a team or I didn't know if I was going to, make a team to play and I think that was really 
nerve-wracking for me, but that also taught me a lot in, like, how I play now and how I think about competing. Nice. So when you were younger, like, I think it's a little bit easier uh, as you as you grow up and look back, but when you were 15, 16, was it your parents who supported you? Did you just love volleyball that much? Or what kind of made you want to go, okay, I'm not going to make this club, but I'm going to go try out for this club? Like, I think... The, the tryout window causes a lot of stress for a lot of athletes and families. I'm just wondering how you worked through that at a, at a pretty young age. Yeah, so um, my parents are really, really supportive. They're awesome. But the one thing that like I really respect about them is they are honest. And they're completely honest about everything. Like They will not tell me if – they will not say, like, you had a good game if I didn't. They won't lie to me. So I've been – raised on honesty so I think during those times my parents were like okay like they weren't trying to sugarcoat anything they were like maybe you didn't perform or maybe they want to do this or they understood and I think they were just almost laid back like sat back and watched me because they were like if she wants it she'll do it and they were always there to support me so like they were willing to drive around like Oakville Lakeside Defense and Halton are all kind of in the Halton region, but the Leaside one was the far drive, but they supported every choice I made, but it was really tough for me because I I was blindsided. Like, um, when I played for Defensa, I played a lot, and then I was just told that I wasn't going to be on the team next year, and then I went to Halton, and we had a good season, and we were doing well, and I played, and I was one of their starting left sides, and I thought I was doing well for the team. And then when it came to the tryout period, they only ended up taking like a very small number of girls, I think eight or nine, like minimum girls. And I thought I was going to make the team. So I didn't really think about trying out for any other team. Um, and their tryout window was towards the end. And so I was just like, okay, awesome. I'll try for Halton. I'll play for Halton. And then I got an email and it was a one sentence email saying, we're going with a different personnel this year. And I just didn't know how to react because I was like heartbroken because I didn't know what I did wrong. So me being the person I am, I picked up the phone. I called, I called the coaches and I asked for feedback. And I said, how, how, how do I improve? How do I move forward? All this stuff. So I knew I, like I couldn't salvage that. So I knew I just would take the feedback and move forward. And I was sitting in Tori's kitchen. She's one of my best friends. She lives really close to me. And we're sitting there. And Tori goes, I'm going to try out for Leaside. And their win- like their tryouts for next week. You should come with me. We're going to make a power team. Like We're going to bring in all of our friends. Because from the beach tour, we met so many girls. So like Tia and Gabby and Christina and uh, the Adler twins. We were like, okay, we're going to make a super team. <laughs> so we all decided to drive to Leaside, which had like a great coaching staff and it's a great club. So we, I decided to go there and ended up making it. And that was very nerve wracking for me. I think the whole tryout, I wasn't myself because that was my last shot in my 18 U year. If I don't make this team, I'm not playing volleyball. And if I don't play volleyball, I won't play volleyball at university. And like my mind kind of was like all over the place. So I think having supportive friends and family obviously people being like no you're going to come and you're going to do this because I know you can really helped but also not having my parents push me because they knew that if I wanted to do something and I wanted to be good at it I would do it myself and they were willing to support me through that so it was just whatever I wanted to do 
Well, there you go. I'm already learning so much. This is already worth having you on the show. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning. So let's let's clarify for the listeners because they might hear that super team comment and be like, oh, well, you guys just, just stacked a team. But I, I want to dive a little bit deeper. You mentioned you guys are already friends, right? So um, yeah. what, what started the super team conversation? Was it because you wanted to win a national championship? Was it because you wanted to play with your friends? Like, how did this come together? Because I think a, a lot in, uh, I'll, I'll say Ontario because that's where my club experience is. It does happen fairly often where teams try to, to stack and, and come together, but it sounds like you guys already had relationships and maybe you just wanted to play together. So can you just confirm kind of how it started and maybe the the why? Yeah, so I think it was a bit of both like friendship, but also we wanted to win. And we had all played with or against each other in on different teams, different clubs, and on the beach. So we all knew each other and we were all like good friends and we all had good relationships. And then we were, I think we were kind of tired of the, the, the political side of volleyball almost and like all these teams. So we were like, let's, we want to have fun in our last year. We want to have an enjoyable experience. And most of the girls who did play for that team already had um, offers and were already signed to go to the NCAA and division one or other schools. So everyone was just more, I just want to have fun. And so we all just talked and we all tried out. And I think everyone was really confused when we all got there because there was just a mass amount of girls, but from all different places. Like me and Tori drove like two hours to get to practice. The Adler twins drove two hours. Like everyone was kind of committing so much into this team, but it's because we had so much fun and you could speak to this probably, but we just were like a happy group of girls. Like we never had any issues, which is, I know sounds like a sugar coat, but we all really supported each other. Me being a player who didn't play all the time, I was more of like a defensive serving. There was no cattiness. There was no drama just because we all were having fun. And I think that's why we did so well is because we all just supported each other. There was never any like, like fighting for positions and like getting mad at each other because we all just wanted to win. And we all knew that, we all had the same goal. So it was, that was kind of easy for us. Now, is there, is there a small part of you that when you won provincials, you kind of just give the tip of the cap to those other clubs that didn't want you? Was there just kind of a confirmation? They kind of like, yeah, yeah I can play at this level. Um, yeah. So one, like the nice ending, I think to my club career to that provincials was, so like I said, I was a serving sub. Um, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I had an important role. So I went a lot to serve and play defense for Gabby. So when Gabby went to the back, I'd go in and that was my role. And I knew my role and I was happy to fill it. So we went to provincial finals. We're playing Pac-Man 17 U. I think it was. I think so. so. And they had a good squad. They had like Caitlin Wark, uh, Janelle Albert, like they, they were, they were good. Or in Beltman. Yeah. They had like, they were a solid team. Like they were one of the best 18 U teams as a 17 U team. So it, we knew it was going to be like a good compete. So we're all ready to play. And I knew my role. And then it was in the last set and Christine Alabastro, one of the starting left sides got a calf cramp and our coach looks down the bench and he looks at me and he goes, go like sub her off. So I'm going into the front row. And I just remember this, uh, like I got set the ball and I hit it and I scored down the line and everyone was like, the announcer was like, Sarah Williams, 
plays clearly plays beach and knows where to put the ball. Like it was just so funny because people like, I don't think people expected that from me or to be offensive because they haven't seen that from me all year. But it was nice to know that my hard work didn't go unnoticed because I did play left side in practice because we needed four left sides. So I was a left side in practice. So to get my chance in the last set of provincial finals and to be on the court and be a part of that was kind of like the cherry on top for me. And I think just looking around in the crowd and seeing like my family, my friends, everyone who supported me, but also like all the other teams that I've ever played for to like, see like that. I like I'm resilient and I don't get knocked down easy. So like this, that was kind of like my, yeah, my hat off to you. Like I, I look, look what I've done. Like I'm successful and I'm happy. And that was kind of like the, the sweet ending to my Ontario, like, uh, yeah, the OVA, I guess. So at the risk of editing this out, I can take it out if you don't want to tell the story, but there was a funny moment on day two of Provincials where you mentioned coach is very tactical. They, they want to sub in defensive specialists and stuff. You guys actually ran out of subs and had, I think, all three defensive specialists or libs on the court at the same time. Do you remember that and just want to give me the inside? Because I'm still not quite sure how it happened. My, yeah, oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you it all. So we're playing Halton again in a power pool. We're like they were our competitors all season. Like we always fought head to head with them. For me, they're a rivalry. They were they were a team that I wanted to beat always. And it was early in the morning and we're all excited to play this team. And um our coach makes subs as they do. And we had a serving sub in. So we had Zoe in and he subbed her in and then we had a setter, and then he subbed in another setter as a, bl- a blocking sub, I guess. I think it was Sarah Legler-Clark. He subbed her in as a blocking sub in the front. But then he ran out of subs. So we had, as our front row attackers, we had a setter, a setter, and a DS slash lib. <laughs> so we're all standing there. There's a picture. The OVA took a picture of Tori holding her hands around my neck, pretending to choke me because she was so frustrated. It is. <laughs> so funny but all of us were like what what do we do like what like what the heck do we do but luckily like we like I said we've had good girls in our team Sarah Lagler Clark was a tall athletic girl so was Regan so was Zoe and they've all played the sport before had played in different positions so we ended up winning that set I'm pretty sure and winning that game but I think it was just a really funny (laughs) learning experience for us because we were like we can't do anything and we're all looking at each other. We're like, that's our front row right now. It was just so funny for me because uh, I was coaching with the, the club director, John Child, and I had a boys team that year. And we, we finished up and we're like, oh, let's go see how, how the 18s are doing. And we walk into the arena and there's just this big delay in between John, myself, and I believe Randy Bartlett and Melissa Bartlett were there recruiting for Western. And between the four of us, we couldn't figure out what was happening. We had to ask people afterwards being like, how did they end up with like eight liberos on the court at that time? Like, and the game was delayed because I think they, they were trying to figure out if he used all the subs, if he didn't use all the subs. Like, it was just an, a nice moment at provincials with like two high level teams well also too like it wasn't even the ref who called that we had too many subs it was the assistant coach of the other team who was like nope you've used all your subs that's it in the face of our coach like jaw to the ground all of us were like and also melvin melvin was like no way 
like, you're kidding. No way. <laughs> like Melvin's freaking out, you know, Melvin. And he's like, like all of us just didn't know what to do. And I don't think anyone else knew what was going on. Everyone's like, what are they doing? But we didn't know either. <laughs> like we had no idea what to do. So for you walking into the gym, you knew just as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's a good lesson for any coaches listening that uh, even when you're a provincial champion, you can have some blunders and use up all your subs and just make a wonderful mess of everything. Count your subs. That's all. <laughs> awesome. So you're an offset champion. You're a provincial champion. So what was your recruiting process like? Like, obviously, you loved volleyball and, and knew you wanted to play at the post-secondary level. So uh, at what point were you in contact with coaches and deciding where you wanted to go? So, yeah, like, I was a bit later to the game, I'd say. Like, well, for me, I, I feel like as the years go on, people almost sign to universities way earlier. Um, so when I was on Lee side, most of my team was signed because they were going to the state. So I know states teams kind of sign a bit earlier. So I was like nervous. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I need to, I need to know where I'm going now. Like I was freaking out. Um, so I just put videos together and in my, like when I sent them, I found emails obviously and sent the video and explained myself and kind of told them my role on the team at, at, at Lee side and said that I was a serving sub and then, and I was a DS. And so that, I think that was hard for me. Cause I was like, how am I supposed to be a, like a desirable recruit if I just come in to serve and dig some balls? So I think that was tough for me, but I started sending out emails and I got a couple responses and then York replied to me and Saba Kaleem, who was on my 18 U team as well, was already signed to York. Um, and all I heard was good things about it. And then I talked to the coaching staff and I was really interested in going there. And I decided that that's where I wanted to go because I was really comfortable with the team, the environment and like the community at York. So I was comfortable and I, I signed there and I, I didn't really know what to expect just because I hadn't really been to many um, OUA games, to be honest, like during my club career, I didn't really go watch many OUA games because I was playing all the time so I didn't really know like what I was going to expect and it was weird because when I first kind of was interested in York one of my so my first coach there was Nick Tran and he was like we don't need any more left sides so I don't know what that means for your position like where pretty much where I'll be and I walk into the gym for our first practice and I'm one of two other left sides <laughs> and I was like so 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 I am on the left side and it was, that, that was a weird part. Cause I was like, I, I walked into the gym being like, I don't know what position I'm about to play right now. And then I walked in and I was like, okay. And, but then I started playing left side and that was like my, the restart of my left side career. Cause I hadn't really been a front row player for a while. Is there a backstory there? Like did, did somebody transfer? Did somebody quit? How did the coach think like, oh, we're, we're pretty set here to being like, okay, you're in because you're the second left side we have on the squad. Um, I really have no clue because I like, I didn't know much about the team prior. So I just kind of assumed with whatever he said was right. But I know that York had, um, a lot of girls kind of transfer in and out and some, like we have a lot of girls, uh, we had a lot of girls at York who played for team Canada beach. So I think he maybe thought that some girls were going to come back or some girls were going to continue their eligibility. So maybe that was the miscommunication, but yeah, I don't really know because when I walked into the gym, I was like, 
who was supposed to be here who's not <laughs> awesome so was there a vet that kind of helped you out like obviously you knew Saba on the team but you're both experiencing university ball for the first time so how did you kind of settle in did you just use your resiliency and your grit to kind of to make a play on it or did somebody help you out who was more of a senior on the team I had a really, like, as much as people look at my first year and were like, oh, you played, you got all rookie team, what a walk in the park. Like, I had a tough time because I walked in and I put my head down and I worked really, really, really hard. And because I knew I had to, because I've been in that position before. So I worked really hard and I ended up starting. I was a starting left side for our team. I actually think I finished the season with the most kills that year. So... I was a big part of the team, and I think that some people, some older girls almost were like, oh, she just came in and take, took my spot, or why is she playing? And I think I got a bit of backlash for starting as a first year, I guess, because I, I don't think people expected me to be a starting left side, because I guess when I was recruited, people were like, she's a defensive specialist. But I did have one really, really um, strong leader on our team, Kirsten Dillon. She was a setter and she ended up actually after she was done her five years at York, she actually went and assistant coached the Western women's volleyball team with Melissa while she did her master's degree. And Kirsten was the definition of a hard worker and a great leader. She was our captain and she just pushed, she pushed me so, so, so hard. And I think she knew what kind of worker I was. So she didn't sugarcoat anything. She held me to a very high standard but I think that's how I knew she was supporting me because she expected the best from me at all times. Like she'd come up to me and be like, I need you to get this point and just walk away. And for me being a first year, having a fit, like a fourth year athlete look down at me and say that I'm like, okay. So I had her support me, but it was like tough love, but that's what I needed at the time. And I think my first year was not, was more just me figuring out myself and what kind of player I wanted to be in the OUA so it was just nice to have someone like that just push me, push me, push me to make sure that I got there. Was it after your first year that Nick transitioned and there was a new coach brought in? Or when did the first coaching change happen in your career? I just love coaching changes, apparently. So in my... You are the constant in, in all these stories that like you can't have the same coach twice in a row, it feels like. No, but <laughs> the thing is with that, everyone's like, how do you feel? I'm like, the good thing is that I've had to... And you can ask Jen, who was my current coach this year... She has made me adapt, and I've adapted to whatever any coach has ever asked for, and I think that's made me a better player. So as much as it, it was weird for me to have a new coach, like every year, every other year, I learned so much from it, and I was demanded so much. So I think it was, it was good for me as a player. But in my first year, Nick Tran was the head coach. So Nick Tran and his, his brother, Ben Tran, were the two coaches, and they were there for two years. One year. One year. Yeah, one year. They were there for one year. And then after that, the con his contract ended and they rehired. They didn't want to rehire him, so they went with John May. So John May was my coach for two years. And then his contract ended. His life was super busy. Um, and he stepped down and we hired a new coach, Jennifer Nielsen, who was the coach from 2018 to present, so now. And so, yeah, I've had three coaches there and lots of coaching changes and it doesn't get easier. I'll tell you that. Cause every time a new coach came in, I had to retry out. They make you retry out. So I think me having the past, knowing that I, I could be cut, I think was also like the terrifying part for me. So as you progressed was, in, in your career, sorry to cut you off there. I was just wondering how you okay. progressed. Um, 
Because you mentioned it, it didn't feel like you were being supported too much when you started as a first year. Like there was a little bit of a poisonous behavior where people are like talking behind your back or whatever. So when you got a chance to be like an upperclassman and be a senior, did you keep that in mind when you were working with the younger players? Like did the culture ever get sorted out there? Because I'm just, I'm wondering how you dealt with that as a first year. Because it can't be that supportive where you battle, battle, battle and earn the starting spot. Instead of people like supporting the team and wanting what's best for everybody, they're kind of like, oh, why is she starting? I think that was the really tough part was because since I came from Leaside, which was a group of just best friends. So then I was almost expecting something very similar. And I did have like friends on the team. It's not like I was alone or I was sad, but it was just a way different of a culture, I think. And I think that had a lot to do with just um, like the coaching and like the rules that were placed on us and the group of girls and that, that timing, like there was all, all things played a factor. And then when John May came in, we had a different group of girls and he really, really, really believed in us. And he had given us something that we hadn't had in a long time, which was just support. He really supported us through everything. Like he was just always there. He would call you, make sure you were okay. Like he just cared about us as people and as athletes. So that was really nice. And I think that just created a little bit of a culture change because we all started to care a bit more for each other. And then when Jen came in, Jen is like the most organized person I know. And she came in, she goes, the culture, we're changing it. And she's like, I don't care if I end this season with eight players or 14. I just need you all to be on board. And everyone was like, yes, ma'am. Like we, we all just wanted to, to be good and to support each other and have a hardworking culture. So when Jen came in, I think she kind of fully shifted that for us. But then me being on the leadership team and one of the cap, like I was the captain this year, seeing all these girls in their first year, I wanted to like help them and to let them know kind of where I stood and let them know about my journey. Because I, I don't know, like some girls on our team look at me and they're like, Oh, Sarah, like, you're great. You got everything figured out. And I'm like, let me tell you my story. Cause not everything works out perfectly. So we had a couple rookies who started this year. And I think that when I saw them start, it kind of reminded me of my myself. And I think that that was kind of how I went um, with handling it. And just, I, I supported them but I didn't treat them any differently than I treated anyone else on the team. Cause I wasn't going to baby them. I wasn't going to belittle them. They were another player on my team. Like, I don't, you're not, I don't care if you're 17. I don't care if you're 22. You're, we're all on the same team. So I think like, that's kind of where I wanted them to feel respected because I almost felt like that's what I needed when I first came in is just to be an equal and be respected as an equal and not being, like let off the hook because they're first year or not being held accountable because they're first year. So I kind of made that my goal to treat everyone the same way. Cause I think that's how you create a culture because when you have first years who are allowed to do things and then fifth years who get away with stuff and whatnot, then there's a hierarchy and then that's where the culture kind of falls apart. So I think that was my job this year was just to treat everyone fairly, but to hold everyone to a high standard. So that was kind of how I took like leading first years, just because that's what I wanted when I was a first year. I didn't want to be like coddled or anything. I just wanted to know that people believed in me and people were going to push me.
Nice. And, and can you give us an example of how Jen attempted to change the culture? Because obviously, like you said, she's very organized. She's put in a lot of hours into her coaching career, and she's still quite young. But I'm wondering, it, that's kind of like something that new coaches say. Like, it, whenever you're in that season, like, it seems like every time a new professional coach gets hired, oh, we're going to change the culture. Like, what did that look like on a day-to-day basis? And what was she she very good at about getting everybody to buy in? Since we had so many coaching changes, we didn't really have any, like, structure because it just kept changing. So one thing that I think freaked everyone out was Jen was Jen was very set on um, timelines and commitments. Like there was no getting out of anything. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you had to be there. And I think that was one thing, like no one was getting let off the hook. So I went to Madawaska and we had a training camp during Madawaska. So I still wanted to go. So I went and I had to drive back for training camp. I wasn't allowed to miss our two-day training camp, even though I had already planned to go to Madawaska before because that's what the whole team was doing. And if I wanted to be on the team, I had to be there. We all signed contracts that we created with Jen. So we sit down in our rules. So rules around like how we represent ourselves, how like um, I'm trying to think what else we had because we have, So we have study hall and we have a GPA standard. So to be on the team, Jen wants you to maintain a certain GPA. And that's not even just like a passing GPA. It's a successful GPA. And if you aren't, she will give you guidelines and rules to follow. And she'll give you a tutor and she'll give you help. And you have to pursue that because she wants you to be better. So there was things like we had calendars given to us a month in advance. And our days were packed. Our days were packed full with We have a mental strength coach. We had a nutritionist. We have a personal strength conditioning coach. We have um, Debbie, who is like a psychologist. Then we had Jen, and we had three assistant coaches. And through this, we had like strength and conditioning. We had study hall. We had leadership meetings. We had individual meetings. We had practices. Like Jen just made sure that we were busy and we were focused. And I think that's kind of what made that culture change because if you weren't willing to buy into all this and you weren't willing to put the time in, then she, she, you didn't need to be there. So I think that everyone who was there ended up on the same page because you had to put in so much effort and time. So at the end of the day, all of us were like, why do we wake up at five o'clock for a a 6am practice if we're not going to train hard and we're not going to push each other? And like, why do we spend so many hours a week if we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that? So I think she had a really big, level of expectation for us which has never been placed on us before so I think that was kind of like a culture shock almost because she was like if you don't want to be here and you're not going to put in the work you don't have to be and I'll like I'll remove you like Jen wasn't afraid to cut people and move people around and give people strikes and put people on probation and tell them that you need to work better you need to do that she wasn't afraid to do any of that and she, it doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team, if you were a first year, if you were like the only middle, it doesn't matter. She held everyone to that standard. And I think that was kind of the thing that made us all be a part of this culture was just, we had to be, and we had to get on board and we had to feed into it. We had to buy into it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm a big fan of clear objectives. So that sounds like a great culture change. I'm wondering was there any room for autonomy? And what I mean by that is there's there's a lot of studies, and I'm sure Jen's aware of them too, where athletes actually buy in a little bit more, where they feel like they have a say or are part of the process versus like 
almost like a dictatorship that says you're going to be here at this time and you're going to do this. So I'm wondering with Jen being so organized, was she aware of everybody's class schedule? Because it's one thing to give me a schedule a month in advance, but what if I'm super organized and I knew three months in advance that I was going to, I don't know, do this internship or I was going to go listen to this guest speaker or if I had like something else on the go, right? Like was there any room for kind of the human side where stuff comes up or was it you're either all in or you're out? You had to be all in. And what I mean by that is you had to be all in and willing to adapt with Jen. So if I had something that I needed to do, I would have to tell her in advance. I can't just be like, Jen, tomorrow I want to go do this. So Jen actually has all of her, at the beginning of the semester, we send her class timetables. So she has on a massive spreadsheet, I've seen it and it's terrifying. It's all of our schedules. So like how many classes I'm in, when they go, because she needs to know who's not going to be at practice, who's not going to be here, why are you not there? We had two girls in my year, so Justine and Tara, who were in placements, and they were allowed to miss practice for placement because that was that was something that they needed to pursue their education. And Jen always said that you're a student before an athlete, so she would make sure that we like were taken care of in that sense. And I think it was all just about communication. And that's always what Jen said, like, Jen was always there to pick up the phone and to talk to, but you just had to communicate with her because I worked part time over Christmas break. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to move back home to Oakville for, for Christmas break. And so me and her had to have a conversation of what my training would look like. And she was all willing to help and adapt, but she wanted me to have a conversation with her. She's not, she's not one to just let you spring something on her, but you have to communicate that. But she's very open to allowing change in the schedule if you are willing to communicate that and work with her awesome yeah really glad to hear that because i think that's that's more of a life skill to me where you, you don't come to jen with a problem and say oh i can't make that you come with a solution that says i can't make that because of this but i'm going to make it up with this right so i think that's yeah. that that's a great life life lesson that jen's really instilling on the program so obviously you guys are a playoff team so you were having success so is that kind of the trick when you're doing a culture change as you look back is it does the team need to be successful for people to buy in or does it come back to what you kind of commented on there where we're all in this together and we're all grinding and that kind of helped build the bond? Because I think sometimes winning clouds things and it makes people think that it may hide some problems that things are better than they are. So with you guys kind of building and progressing, is that what made you buy into the culture change or was there just a certain moment where it all came together? I'd say there was almost a certain moment because we had made playoffs. Like the only year we didn't make playoffs was my first year, I think. So we had made playoffs every other year. And the team had still like, the culture was still the same. But I think it was like that we work so hard and we deserve this. And that was kind of like our big thing. Like no other teams are doing this and putting in these hours. Like our schedule, like I've, I have friends on, all the teams I've compared with girls at Western U of T, like my brother, our schedule is unlike anything I've ever seen because Jen just wants us to succeed. And I think we all kind of came together and we're like, if we're going to be putting in this effort, we want success. And when we started winning, I think that was just the cherry on top. And that made us work a bit harder because we realized what we were putting in and all those tireless hours we had been contributing to this were actually going somewhere. Nice, nice. Good to hear a little bit of insight. That, that's good that Jen's doing such a good job there. Um, we had Garrett May on the show, and I, I, I worked a lot of Sundays with him at Leaside. Uh, he's a good friend, and I always love a good John May story. And what I mean by that is a lot of our beach players have worked with him. He's been to the Olympics. He's maybe coached the best club team of all time. And 
it's just funny to hear him say like, oh, John, we want to be top four at this tournament. He'll just stare you dead in the eye and be like, so you want to make semis lose and then lose again. Is that right? So I'm just wondering, do you have a John May story or just something how he installed that that belief or that, um, I think they call it re relentless self-belief is what Garrett kind of grew up on, where you knew you were going to get the job done. You were trusted, like confidence was kind of all around you. So uh, you mentioned like he would phone people to make sure that they were doing well in volleyball and life. Like, was there anything else that kind of stood out? Because He's kind of earned a very strong reputation for being a motivator in our sport. I think the one thing that John did super well was getting to know each individual. And he was your biggest cheerleader. Like, he would look at you and be like, you've got this. You're awesome. And you're like, I'm awesome. <laughs> you'd go and you'd, like, play and you'd just be so happy because you would turn to the bench and John would be there cheering you on and, like, getting involved and, doing his thing, jamming out. Like he was such like a fun person to be around. And I knew like, it was nice to know that his intentions were in the right place with each athlete. And he would take the time to make sure that everyone was okay. But he really did like support us so, so much. So I felt super confident in myself. And I think that was the first time that I felt like that because I had a coach feeding into me too, not just like self like me pumping myself up, I had someone else being like, you're awesome. Sarah, you're amazing. That was so cool. You're, you're the best left side ever. Like you <laughs> say these things and you'd believe him. But also he was so respected. Like he, he, by the way, has the most wicked underhand serve I've ever seen on a human being. He has an underhand float serve that I can never like, get out of my head we would be doing warm-up drills and girls would be shanking underhand serves because he has this side spin float thing and all of us were like what the heck like he was a solid volleyball player without even trying he was a good coach and he knew what he was doing and he just supported us through that and I can probably Garrett could attest to that he just supported you but he loved the game so he was like willing to do what it it took but he would push you and make you think about things like he'd make me think Sometimes I'd go home from practice being like, huh, like, what did he mean by that? But I, it caught me, like, it put me in a position to change my perspective on myself and the game and all those things. So I think he was a big part of, like, my self journey as an athlete and just being more confident. Is that how he managed the the belief with, the, with also challenging you? Because I'm wondering if there has to be another side to it where... A uh, coach listening right now can't just go to practice and say, I'm just going to tell my left side they're the best side, best left side ever, excuse me. And, like, if they blast four balls out of bounds and hit one into the net, like, eventually they have to figure out and then go, well, I'm not getting it done, so am I the best left side ever, right? So where where is the balance between that extreme confidence and pumping people's tires to the, the also, like, the reality side that you still have to work for it? Yeah, I think that was something that in the beginning of our season, I think John just wanted us to be, like, happy and that so during preseason it was a lot of just support and then as it got deeper into season like he had these expectations and we do drills that would put each individual in like their league spot so he would do those things and you knew that was expected of you and he would coach you through it too it's not like he would just leave you high and dry if you weren't performing or he would come up to me and being and say you need to swing high or you're coming down on the ball or um you're swinging your platform. Like he would give you feedback, but I think in the combination of the two, knowing that that feedback was always coming from a place of support and wanting me to be better is kind of what created that environment on our team. 
is like he he expected these things of you and you believed that he expected these things because he believes you could do it so I think those two things like played together and that's kind of what created that feeling and that that like John May creation of like he has such high expectations but he'll get you there but it might look a bit different for each athlete Nice, nice. Yeah, we just, another name drop. We had Melissa Imanapretas on the show, and she talked about that volleyball gets it wrong sometimes where some people want the result to feel confident, where it sounds like John's found a system and a coaching style where you feel confident and then the results start to come, right? Because you can't just expect good things to happen and then click that I'm good. You you need to know you're good if you're going to get it done, if it's 12-12 in the fifth set or something like that, right? I think that's the thing too. I think John knew we were good, and he just wanted to show everyone that we were good. So I think when we weren't performing what he thought, that was kind of the time that we all had to reevaluate because it wasn't just going to be, oh, if I support you, we're going to win a national championship or that. So I think that's kind of where all of us were like, we need more. He was like, like I said, he's a great, like he's been a part of volleyball for so long. So he has so many drills and so many techniques and tools. And we also had Reed, his younger son, who was one of our assistant coaches. And Reed was awesome. Like as a defensive help and as a like anyone in the back row reed was always giving feedback and i think john did a good job at having a coaching staff that supported what he needed because john was more of the support i'm gonna tell everyone what we need to be doing but we had assistant coaches like alex cron who's now at u of t and then reed in a combination working together with our athletes to make sure that everyone was on the same page on a technical level Nice, nice. So with all the coaches in your career and your your own resiliency and and grit through the process, so when you got to York and you were a leader, would you guys say things like, we want to win the OUA or we want to win nationals, or was it more of a process? I always come back to that because I'm always fascinated that there's there's people who want to stand up and say, no, we're going to win nationals this year, and there's people who just want to put their head down and do work. So where did you kind of find the balance, and did did the coaches kind of instill that, or were the players really driving that at, at York? Um, so in my like first couple years, I never like really had a goal because I didn't know what I wanted my goal to be like with the team. And I think I just, so I just put my head down. We worked and we worked hard and we wanted to go places, but we never said it out loud because I don't think we wanted to be embarrassed or held to an expectation of other people were going to like put it down. But what Jen, again, what Jen made us do is she instilled something, but she made us fulfill it. So we had monthly milestones. So we had a goal and our goal was to like one of our team goals for the season was to make it to final four, which was like a realistic goal. And obviously our goal was to make it to nationals and win. that was the goals that came after, but we were working to make it to final four. That was kind of like our buildup. So we had a September goal. And then once we fulfilled the September goal, we'd go to October. Once we go to like, we'd keep going. And if we didn't fulfill that month's goal, then we stayed there. So like a goal would have been, And we created this at, we had a team retreat at the beginning of the season where we created our culture. We went over our defensive roles. We went to Blue Mountain and it was fun. We all stayed together. We all made dinner. We had our nutritionist come. We had our strength coach come. We had our mental strength coach come and we all just had a good time. But during this time, it was, we put our heads down and we worked about what we wanted from this team. So September, our goal was to get on track and get into a routine, a schedule. So practices and workouts and stuff like that. October, I'm pretty sure 
was remember the defensive system. So at the end, we had monthly meetups at the end of every month, and we'd go over as a team if we think we completed that goal. And our goal at the end was to make it to Final Four, so we all had the same goal. So we worked towards that, and it was nice because we had, like, a visual chart of it too, and it was written on our whiteboard every month what our goal was and how we'd get there. So Jen set a format, but we had to fill it with what we thought would make us get there, and we were held accountable, like, throughout the whole thing. And I think that was kind of interesting because you, like you said, some teams just go out there and go, I want to win nationals. Okay, but how are we going to do that? Because I want to win nationals too. And I'm sure every other team in the country wants to win nationals, but how are we going to win nationals? So I think that was kind of the big thing, which made it so real for me was like, okay, step one to the end, step two, step three. And if I follow these steps, I will get here. And I think that was a big thing for us because we all had the same goal and we all came up with the goal together at our team retreat at the beginning of the season before we even really started heavy training. This was like a personal goal from like what we wanted as athletes for each other, not like on the volleyball court. We weren't basing it off of expectations of our skill, basing it off of what we deserved and what we wanted. Awesome. I could talk about this stuff all day, but uh, I am aware that uh, we're, we're getting a closer to an hour, and I don't know how many people listen after an hour, so we'll have to have you back on, and we could just dive deeper into this stuff. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I was wondering if you had a funny story you could give us. So uh, obviously, you and I have known each other a lot. I, I brought up the libero one. Obviously, you've played at a high level. You've, you've won OFSA. You've won provincials. You had a great career at York. So has anything odd or funny ever happened during volleyball that you could share with our listeners just to give us a laugh before we let you go? One of the ones that I was just thinking of is I remember we were at practice for Lee side and I don't know if you were there or not, but it was Christian Redmond for sure. Or he was there and one of the balls popped and we made the dunce cap. I was I there. Yes. There that. <laughs> and that, I just remember that cause that's so funny to me. Cause every time I see a flat volleyball, I'm like, this is the dunce cap. So we were pretty much, we saw a flat volleyball. We cut it open, we ripped it up and we said it was the dunce cap. And if you did anything wrong, you had to wear it. I don't even think we did that. I think we just messed around with it for a practice, but that's still something that sits in my head. But um, a funny life lesson one that was this season was we were playing uh, Queens. So we were traveling. So we were in Kingston and we were coming back from Servant Pass and there was a time we were told to get back on the bus but that time was different than the itinerary. So some people followed the itinerary and some people followed what they heard because the two times were different. So I was sharing a room uh, with Kiara. So one of the setters on our team and me and Kiara are just sitting in our room, packing up our bags. We have like 10 more minutes. So we have to be on the bus. We're just hanging out and Kiara gets a phone call and it's like, where are you? The bus is leaving now, right now. And then, Kira's like, what do you mean? Like, blah, blah, blah. We have like 10 more minutes. Nope, the bus is leaving now. And we all start freaking out because we're like, the bus, like, why is it leaving? Like, we, what time? Like, we're all freaking out. So I run out of my room. I open the door and I look. And out my door, I see Olivia Kim and I see Alex Stein. I'm like, so it's not just me. It's not just us. And I turn and then I see Teresa and Wesley Ann. So there's six of us. And we're running. We're, we're running into the parking lot out of this, like, Holiday Inn Hotel to watch the bus just go off. It was like a movie. The bus <laughs> just go off. And we're all standing there. Just, we just got left behind. And, like, out of those six girls, like, 
five of us were starters and we got left behind because we weren't on time according to the, the schedule and according to our contract that we signed with Jen at the beginning of the season, if you're late, we leave without you, you don't dress. So we were all terrified. So we were all calling Ubers, we're all running around. And apparently, I think you had them on the show, Andrew Shaw, Fulton Toure. Yep. They were literally sitting at the back of the bus with their faces pressed against the glass, being like, no, wait. <laughs> and we were all just running at the bus. The bus just went off. So all of us had to, like, the six of us had to split Ubers, and we got there, and we got ready, and we all had a team talk about it, and we all talked about the miscommunication. Jed said, we live and we learn. And I think the six girls were all just shaken up about it. Like, we were like, we got left. Bus waits for nobody. Bus waits for no one. You're not on time, too bad. Like, and the next day, too, the men's team, there's three guys on the men's team who were... Like it literally hit 11 and I think 10:59, and the six girls who missed the bus yesterday, were all sitting on the bus and it hits 11. We go, let's go start the bus. They're not here. <laughs> we're all like, Nope, not fair. We're leaving them too. So we left three guys on the men's team the next day. And it was <laughs> to play RMC. So it was just funny, but it was a, a lesson learned, but we ended up winning the game against Queens. I think just because the girls who, got left we're just so like enraged that we just fought so hard and we want to win so bad to prove a point when you look back what actually happened does the bus usually leave on the hour and it was quarter two or like what was the actual miscommunication our itinerary i think said like i don't know the exact time but let's say like 145 and when we got on the men's servant pass apparently was at two but nathan the men's coach didn't tell jen that so our itinerary said 145. But then when we got on the bus after our servant pass, it was just the women's team, but it's a big coach bus. And we all sit in our own seats and like spread out. And Jen, I was at the front of the bus and like, I probably had my headphones in other girls or whatever. Jen goes, we're leaving in an hour. And on the clock, I think it was like 135. I mean, 1235. So in an hour, but we didn't hear that. So the girls at the back of the bus didn't really hear that. And I think, like, nothing was really much more said. No one made a big deal about it. And I think I thought it was just so close to the itinerary that, like, the same time that I was like, okay, perfect. And you're usually supposed to be on the bus 10 minutes early because early is on time, according to everyone on our team. <laughs> of course. Yeah, 10 minutes earlier, you're late. And so I think that was the weird miscommunication because – it was almost just like Jen said it, but we didn't hear her because we were so far back on the bus. But then also the other girls didn't say anything because I don't think anyone thought it was like a big deal because we all thought we heard or we all thought we knew because it wasn't far off from the original itinerary time. I, I wanted to circle back for one story because I remember you, you just brought up Christian Redmond, who I thought really walked the line on your team of being like high level, but also having fun. Do you remember your game at Power Pool against Dinos? Yes. So you guys, I think, I'm trying to remember, it was something like this. This is how I'm going to tell it. You guys were up 13-12. They hit it out. The parent calls it in. So now it's 13-all, which should have been 14-12, you guys up. 
Christian's holding like a duotang doing stats and does like the throw your hands in the air and this thing's fluttering to the ground and it hits the ground and all of a sudden a ref pulls out a red card. So now it's you're you should have been up 14-12. You're now down 14-13. You guys go on to lose that match and Christian was so upset with himself where he's just like they they brought me here. I was supposed to help them win. Like I'm supposed to be like the calm one. I'm supposed to like contribute and help this team win. And I, I I cost us that game. I've never seen him so riled up where he was so disappointed to be like the guy who caused the swing in that match. I know, and I think the best part was like I remember this because Christian like was like what the heck and like kind of threw his hands up in the air, and then he got the red card, and then John was so angry because he was like, why are you giving him a red card? What has he done? What, what was that called? Like, it was just like, we were almost all scared that John was also going to get a red card. <laughs> and then that maybe you would have gotten one too. And then we would have been coach ourselves or ejected from the game. I remember that, but I think that's the worst part, to be honest, about volleyball, like, like, um, not OVA volleyball, but just in general, like club volleyball in Canada. Why do parents do the lines? Like, that is mind-blowing to me, like, that parents can do lines. I feel like you need a certificate or a qualification because, really, you could just have anyone, like, Sally's little brother's out there doing the lines and Timmy's dad's over there doing the lines. Like, anyone can do it. I feel like it's either got to be... so biased. It's got to be budget-wise or it's got to be almost, like, volume-wise where there's maybe not enough officials to send to every event to have a a person on, on the corners there, but... Uh, yeah, it does create for some interesting situations. So I remember that being like, all right, we're cruising, like we're playing a good team, but like this is going to put us in a good spot. And I think, I think that match messed with the draw a little bit where we played BCO the next day and they had Sarah Chase and Nicole McNamara and like a really good squad, right? I know that was like the, the devastating point of the end. <laughs> that was a tough way to go out. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I know I, I mentioned that we've known each other a long time, but I did learn a lot today, and I want to thank you for being so open with the culture stuff because there's a lot of good things that I think a lot of coaches can apply from what Jen's doing at York and what uh, John was trying to do with with pumping you guys with confidence. So, um, and thanks for sharing stuff about your career because I don't. It's not easy being cut. I think we lose a lot of kids from our sport because they they get cut and they think that's it. Where you found a way, and and I've obviously enjoyed volleyball for your life and played at a high level. So. If you turn pro, awesome. If you don't turn pro and just use your education, either way, you're you're welcome to come back on the show because I feel like we could do this for another hour pretty easily. I could talk all day. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm just glad I could share because I feel like that's a big part of my life that no one really knows. Everyone just kind of sees like almost a success or my happiness, but no one was there kind of and understood the tough times. And I think a lot of people do go through it. So good to kind of normalize that being cut is okay and you will get through it and life moves on. <laughs> awesome so, well said well enjoy your day thank you for having me it was really nice to talk to you and kind of talk about my nice way to end my volleyball career i guess is just kind of summing it up but looking to play one league this summer and continuing coaching so awesome i'm sure i'll see you in the gym be. soon oh, oh yeah okay all right thanks Have Sarah. A good one. okay bye-bye bye